Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Well, good morning, Colonial Woods. Great to see you this morning. Good morning. morning. Great to see you. Look at somebody near you and say, you look fantastic this morning. Do that. Oh, man, some of you are feeling good. Some of you are feeling good. If their hair's out of place, say something. If they don't have any hair, don't say anything at all. It's okay. Glad you're here this morning. And we're going to begin a brand new journey today called It's Complicated. Going to start in Genesis chapter 38, a really weird passage. I don't think I have ever preached a message from this passage, but it is the perfect passage as we begin a new series called It's Complicated. Uh, If you have been on Facebook, you know that there are something like, I think, 11 different ways that you can indicate your relational status. You can be single. You can be in a relationship. You can be engaged. I think you ought to put on there hoping to be engaged. That'd be a good one. Married. You can be in an open relationship. You can be widowed. You can be separated. You can be divorced. You can be in a civil union. You can be in a domestic partnership. But the one that I love and I have always loved from the very first time I ever saw it is it's complicated. Uh, And that says it all right there. There are just sometimes relationships are super complicated they get a little messy Uh, they get a little out of sorts and sometimes it's hard to describe them and uh, this series what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to wade into some of the complicated no easy answers types of things that we face in relationships family extended family neighborhood uh, relation all kinds of stuff but some of the not easy answers that we can find in scripture and today we're going to begin in a story in uh, Genesis chapter 38 it is a messy story that is within another messy story that is within a messy family found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50 and 38 is tucked right in there. Now, if you know anything about Scripture, if you've followed the stories of Scripture, maybe as a child or if you've ever tried to read through uh, the book of Genesis, in chapter 37, it's the story that begins the story of Joseph. Joseph was born to a father, a guy by the name of Jacob, who had 12 different sons and one daughter from four different women. Two of them were his wives. Two of them were his wives' servants. Does it sound messy yet? And he loved the one wife way more than any of the other ladies. Her name was Rachel. And because of that, he loved his oldest child, Joseph, that was born to Rachel. He loved him more than any other child that he had. In fact, it's one thing to say you love one and just kind of kind of, you know, deny it. He didn't deny it. He actually had a coat of many colors made for his son Joseph, 
and he gave it to him to wear to kind of set him apart from all his other sons. It would be the equivalent of having your family together on Christmas morning and one of your kids opens up a gift, a t-shirt that says, world's greatest son, and you have him put it on in front of all the other kids. The socks that they all got just don't seem to measure up. And because of that, Joseph knew he was the favored child and there was a lot of jealousy, a lot of bitterness that began to grow up within that family. In fact, by the end of chapter 37, 10 of the brothers decided that they wanted to kill Joseph when they saw him coming out to the field to join him. Finally, after some negotiation, they decided not to kill him, but to at least in the meantime throw him into a dry cistern where water would have been caught. And in then a guy by the name of Ju Judah, about the fourth in line as far as a brother, said, hey, listen, what good are we going to get out of the guy if we kill him? Why don't we sell him into slavery? And that's what they did. They sold him to the Midianites, which then in turn sold him to Egypt, into Potiphar's house. And that is the story as it begins in Genesis 37. Kind of messy. But then tucked into that story is chapter 38. And it says in chapter 38, verse 1, very first thing, at this time, Judah left his brothers. And I never have asked why that verse is in there. I, I never thought to even ask the question, why is that verse in there? But if you ponder it just a little bit, why do you think Judah pulled away from his brothers? I, I just think he couldn't deal with the guilt. I mean, here's the guy, whether it was just to spare Joseph's life or whether he did it because he wanted to get some monetary gain, I think he felt so horrible about what he had done to his brother and even more than what he had done to his brother, what he had done to his father because his father went into grieving and mourning when he thought that his son Joseph had been killed. And so he took off because that's how sometimes people deal with messy situations. They take off. They distance themselves, hoping that the distance is going to somehow take care of the guilt that they're dealing with in their life. And he begins another life. In fact, it says that he, he meets a woman, he marries a woman, and he has three boys by that woman. His oldest boy, his name is Er, um, he, or Er, he, he, he marries that son off to a woman by the name of Tamar. And because of Er's wickedness, Scripture says the Lord put him to death. He died. And that's a messy situation. And so by virtue of Jewish custom, the second son then has to step up, take Tamar into his household as his wife. And the problem is, is his first child doesn't really belong to him. His first child belongs to the line of the older brother so that the lineage of the brother can continue. And oh, by the way, he gets all the rights of the first son. He gets all the inheritance or two-thirds portion of the inheritance. He didn't want to really concede to that. Scripture says he died. Boy number three. He's so young, Judah says, he's too young to come take care of you as a husband why don't you go off continue to be a widow but go back to your father's house and when my youngest son is old enough I'll let him take you on as his wife to fulfill his obligation to his brother toward you 
You following? Judah is afraid the same thing's going to happen to his youngest son, his only child left. And so he never does contact Tamar. His wife passes away, by the way. He's through the time of grieving. And Scripture says he's going to take his sheep into a nearby town to shear them and ultimately sell the wool. Tamar, the daughter-in-law, in grieving from the first son, hears that her father-in-law is going to town. She decides to go meet him. She takes off her widow clothing. She puts on a veil, which in that society indicates she might be for hire, if you're getting my drift. Puts on some other clothes, goes, meets him. He sees her and negotiates a deal of a place to meet and a proper payment. Notice why I'm telling the story rather than reading it? It's kind of a PG-13, isn't it? They negotiate a price. And she says, hey, what are you going to give me to secure the promise you made? He says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my seal, my cord, and my staff. They indicate who I am. That'll guarantee I'll come back for them. He goes home to get the little goat that he's supposed to give to her, sends it back. She's already gone. She's put back on her widow clothing. And oh, by the way, one addition, actually two. She's pregnant with twins. So far, so messy. Here's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. He was a justice kind of a guy. As she was brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, if you see if you recognize the seal, the cord, and the staff, whose these are. Well, Judah recognized them at once, and he said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my son Shelah, and he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and as she was giving birth, one of them had his hand come out, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it around the wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew his hand back in, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And his name was given Perez. Now I'm going to stop there and right about now you're saying, this is the dumbest passage I've ever heard a guy do a message out of and yet what's interesting to me is I began in fact I couldn't get away from this about a month ago came across this story and I don't know that I've ever asked the question before but why is this story in scripture I mean I have to assume everything in scripture is there for a reason it's tucked into a story of God's sovereignty and grace in chapter 37 through 50 the story of Joseph one of my favorite characters in all of scripture why in the world is it in here and as you begin to look at it the Lord began to put this passage on I could not escape this passage because all I kept thinking about is if we're talking about complicated relationships this story has it all and one of the things I love about Scripture 
is that Scripture does not only have perfect characters. In fact, you will find that some of the main characters in Scripture are very flawed, sinful individuals. And yet God is still able to use them and to redeem them. And what you may not have ever known is that this actually is a transformative time, not only in the life of Judah, but it transformed his family. It took a messy family and brought the grace of God and restoration into it. And let me just kind of take you through the transformative journey that happened in Judah's life. Number one, Judah began to change his behavior. He could have easily have simply blamed his mom, his dad, the situation. Could have blamed the fact that, that his kids had passed away. He could have blamed a lot of things. But you'll notice that he understood the conviction of God as best as he could and said, she is more righteous than I. Now, can I just tell you, neither one of them was righteous. <laughs> he, he's looking at her going, she's more right. Can I just tell you, her act of behaving as a prostitute is wrong his act in his behavior was wrong and sometimes you don't have a choice between right and wrong sometimes you're in two really bad situations and you have to begin to negotiate because we've we've taken ourselves outside of doing God's perfect will we are now dealing with the mess that's left over but what I love is that he owned it and he changed his behavior from that moment on. Do you notice, by the way, it infers in this passage, we know from the rest of Scripture, that he took those boys into his house. He took her into his house. He took responsibility for her care. He took responsibility for the upbringing of the boys. And oh, by the way, those sons from then on were known as his sons throughout all history and all generations. And by the way, he could have taken her as his wife, but he didn't. He didn't want to dishonor the memory of his son. He didn't want to dishonor her. He realized what he had done was out of place. He changed his behavior. Number two, he took responsibility. He took care of the boys. He, took care, he, didn't, he didn't blame it on anybody else. He took care of her. In fact, you'll notice a transformation that does. He not only learns responsibility, but he now begins to take responsibility for his larger family. The next time you see Judah is actually back in the main story of Joseph. In fact, you'll notice in chapter 43, even though Judah is not the oldest son, He's about fourth or fifth in line. I mean, he's down the line a little bit. But he takes responsibility for the care of his entire family. He is the one who begins to speak on behalf of the family. He is the one who negotiates with his father to, to send them into Egypt so that they can get some food because they're all going to die of starvation. Chapter 44, he becomes the mouthpiece and the leader of the family. And in chapter 45, something remarkable happens to Judah and the rest of his clan. They experience the grace and the forgiveness of God. Joseph, their brother, forgives them. And when you experience forgiveness, whether it's from the Lord or whether it's from another individual that you have wronged, the grace of God meets you in that time. In fact, what's interesting, forgiveness is always God's foundation for being able to restore broken relationships. 
In our relationship with God, the only way that we are reconciled is through His forgiveness. And in our relationship with others, the only way reconciliation takes place is if forgiveness is possible. The grace of God meets him. So much so that in chapter 49, this blows me away. Judah goes from fourth or fifth in line from a person filled with guilt in chapter 49. Look what his dad does. They are now living in the land of Goshen. They are now together again with their brother. Their dad is coming down to the end of his life. This is now 37 or 40 years, right in there after he put his brother and sold his brother into slavery. Look what his dad, his dad brings in all the boys because he knows he's about to die. He prays over them. He blesses them. And here's what he said about his son Judah. Chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, which means what? You're going to become a powerful tribe within the nation of Israel. By the way, if you know the story, Judah is the most powerful tribe in the nation of Judah, or in the nation of Israel. Verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to him, or to, until it comes to he, uh, till he comes to him, it belongs, and the obedience of nations is his. Judah goes from messy to blessing his family to actually blessing nations after him. It was from the line of Judah that kings came. It was the nation of it was the tribe of Judah among the 12 tribes that stayed true to God Judah and Benjamin and so they became what is known as Judah followers of God when all the other tribes strayed away they stayed and God showed them favor It's actually from the line of Judah that starting with David all the future kings came out of Judah It was a blessing In fact when they went to war, Judah was the tribe they needed to make sure was part of it because it was the most powerful tribe. And there are some really beautiful truths that come out of a really complicated story. And the first one is actually found in Matthew chapter 1. If you take your Bibles or if you look on your note sheet, I think you're going to want to see this. Because it's a good chance you've read this passage but never really paid attention to it. I want you to see what takes place. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. Isn't it interesting? And his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. The lineage of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world, the one who rightfully has the scepter of rulership, the lineage passes through Judah and Tamar. God is able to redeem the messiest of relationships. 
Some of you come from a really messy background. And there are things that have become generational in your life, in your family. Maybe alcoholism is something that just kind of runs in the family. Maybe marital breakdown and breakup is just kind of a, it's a pattern in family. It's amazing how things tend to repeat themselves. But what's so interesting is Judah came from a very messy line. There was a history of lying. There was a history of deceit. There was a history of all kinds of favoritism within the family. And yet, it's amazing that God chose to bless, not through Joseph. He's the one everybody adores, right? He's the great character. No, no, no. God decided to bring a redeemer through the line of Judah. Because God knows how to redeem the mess. And God knows how to break the cycle. And God knows how to take a messy... So you might be in a relationship right now that seems beyond repair, but can I just promise you, God specializes in the mess. And God meets you in the mess, which takes me to number two. It's the second beautiful truth that comes out of this story. Jesus will always meet people where they're at and then bring them to where God wants them to be. That's how Jesus works. God doesn't expect you to get all cleaned up and get your life perfect before he'll meet you. Jesus will always meet you where you're at, and then he promises to bring you to where he wants you to be. Now, here's the deal. He'll meet you where you're at, not to where you wish you were, not to how you wish things were. Can I just tell you, there are so many situations and relationships where we, we say the if only. If only I hadn't done this. If only this word hadn't been spoken. If only this hadn't taken place. But, but we don't get a chance to work from where we wish we were. We are where we are, and God's grace meets us in that moment. But here's the deal. God loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He will always work to bring you to where he wants you to be. And all you got to do is watch the Gospels on that one. Jesus, I put down in my own notes this, is that Jesus was willing to wade into the hard, the challenging, and the difficult. He always met people where they were to bring them to where he wanted them to be. We know in the book of John that Jesus met an adulterous woman caught in adultery at her public trial. Jesus met her there. He met her there with grace, but then he challenged her to where she needed to be. He met a woman, a Samaritan woman, not even from a clan or a people group that Jews even like. He met her. She had five uh, marriages in her past. She was living with the guy she was with. And Jesus met this woman in a public place in her home country where she was at in order to introduce her to living water. In fact, the rest of the story is this man knew everything about me that I've ever done and it transformed her life. It became her story of transformation as she became a follower of Jesus Christ. Nicodemus, he was a political religious guy. And in order to meet with him, he came to Jesus at night. And I don't think it's because it's the only time he could get to Jesus. I think he was scared to death anybody would know he's talking to Jesus. I, it doesn't say this in John chapter 3. It just says that he came to Jesus at night. But I always imagine he's sitting on a top of a roof looking out at palm trees and drinking a, an iced tea. That's always kind of how I envision that when he comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus meets him right where he's at with the questions that he has 
and he enters into the hard conversation and ultimately brings him to where he wants him to be. And no matter what your mess, God can redeem it. And not ma- no matter where you're at, because some of you right now are not in a good place, God will meet you where you're at, but then he will bring you to where he wants you to be. He will not leave you in the mess. Number three, third beautiful truth out of this story is it's okay not to have easy answers. Now, I don't know about you, but I like easy answers. I find that Christians as a whole like easy answers. We like one, two, three, take a pill, take a happy pill, take some kind of pill. We want an easy answer. And can I tell you, there aren't always easy answers. Over the last five years, I've been a pastor now for 30 years, but over the last five years, I've just dove in to some of the most challenging circumstances. There are situations where, yeah, God's Word speaks to it, but we're not where we wish we were. (laughs) And so how do you get from there to there? And how does God's grace meet into that situation? And I wrote this down, and I I hope you have it on your note sheet as well. It says, we tend to deal with complicated issues like we deal with the story of Judah and Tamar. We avoid it. Or we twist it into what we want it to say. But really, what we're called to do as believers is wrestle with it. And when we wrestle with it, God's grace meets us. Oh, by the way, Jacob became Israel at a place called Bethel because he wrestled with God. And I realize we like simple answers, but can we, can we acknowledge the fact that we live in a culture that's really messy? Do we get it? In fact, I, I, I sent a text, a, a friend sent me a text on Thursday when I was preparing this, and he said, just want you to know I'm praying for you this morning. I said, man, buddy, this week, I am, he's an author, and I, I sent him a note, and I said, um, I want you to know what I'm preaching on. I'm preaching on messy relationships and I knew you would love it. And he sent me back a text. He says, just remember this. You can't spell messy without M-E. He said, for all the people that you're going to be preaching to this weekend, there's a really good chance their name can go in the blank. Most of us have messy situations. Most of us have messy people. Maybe you are a messy person. And God loves the mess and He addresses the mess and He can redeem the mess and He will meet you where you are to bring you to where He wants you to be, but He loves you too much to leave you in the mess. And that doesn't mean there are easy answers, but when we seek God's answers in the mess, His grace meets us and begins to do a beautiful work. And it may not be immediate. It took Judah 30-some years to kind of see the possibilities of what could be. But God did it. And so we're going to be dealing with some complicated things over the next few weeks. And if we're going to deal with complicated relationships, can I just tell you, there's, there's kind of three foundational truths that I, I believe we have to have. And that is, we've, we've got to be steadfast in the Word of God. 
Okay, I realize that sometimes God's word doesn't always say what we want it to say, but we can't. We got to be committed to the authority of the word of God. But can I also tell us we've got to have grace. And we have to have grace to meet the truth with compassion. And then we need a commitment to the relationship. Because can I tell you, it will always be easier to just kind of walk away from a messy situation or as Judah did, run away, move away. It'll always seem easier, but the mess just continues until we let God's grace meet it. And you know, a year ago, about this time, we were still kind of in the first couple of months of COVID, which has become a pandemic. And I remember having conversations with people and we were just simply asking a very real question. Do you know anybody who has passed away from COVID? In fact, do you know anybody who's had it? And it wasn't unusual in early May. Now, we, we had several in our church, but not very many. And those that did, there was one very serious case right up front. But after that, it was, you know, people kind of navigating through it. And so the common answer would be, yeah, I don't really know anybody. I, now, I had a relative that passed away pretty early on last May. But he had so many other physical problems, you know, they, they kind of just didn't make that much out of it. And Fast forward to today. I'll bet there aren't very many sitting in here who... You haven't experienced loss or you have a close friend, family who's gone through loss. I can name five to six or seven of them right now. Or maybe you had a very serious case, had a long recovery, or maybe you have someone. And what I said last year was that, you know what, this thing isn't going to become real until there's a name and a face attached to it. And when there's a name and a face attached to it, it's going to become very real to people. God's word is truth. And we have easy answers on things like forgiveness until you're standing face to face with the one who wounded you. And marriage is forever. Until it's not. And all of these relational things, race, race isn't an issue until you have a mixed, mixed race grandson, granddaughter. Justice, justice is simple, man. Boop justice until your kid goes to jail. Or maybe you're arrested. Name and a face changes everything doesn't change truth truth is truth but it does tenderize your heart a little bit life has a way of beating the legalism out of people doesn't it the whole issue of same sex relationships and marriage and whether or not folks should live together very easy simple answers in scripture but it changes when it's your own family, somebody you love. Truth is truth. But the name and the face changes how we address it 
with compassion and commitment so that God can enter into a messy, complicated situation and shine His grace into it. So Father, this morning, I thank You so much that You don't avoid messy, complicated situations. I'm actually so grateful that Your Word is full of messy, complicated people because Your grace enters into the mess and you redeem it over and over. And Lord, we're going to have some serious conversations and I'm just asking for a steadfastness in my spirit and the word of God, but also a heart of compassion and grace that is committed to delving into the heart. And some right now are sitting here or they're watching at home and they feel like they're such a mess their family of origin, their history, maybe what they've been through, maybe the choices they've made in life, maybe the choices others have made have complicated things so much. But, oh God, in this moment, meet me in my mess. Meet me in the complicated. Would you, would you, Lord, Challenge me even within your compassion. Meet me here and bring me to where you want me to be for your glory and for my blessing, I pray. Do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.